0: No matter how many promises, verse 20, let's take a look at that. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken uh, to us through the glory of God. And when someone says Amen, right? When someone says Amen, Amen to that, they're saying, I absolutely agree with that. That is totally, absolutely true. Amen, brother. Right. All right. We're not a really, we're not a really amening kind of church here. Just uh, if you're a visitor with us this morning, we're not really kind of a amen kind of church, unless uh, Steve Landers here. But um, we're going to go a little Pentecostal on you today. Okay. Is that cool? All right. All right. Some of you are really scared, but it's not going to be. You know, nothing scary is going to happen or anyway. But there's four promises listed in verse 21. And um, this is a key verse. So write verse 21 down. Say, look at verse 21. There's four promises that are given here. And when I say a promise, I want you guys to say, amen. That's good, right? Just say, that's good. I agree with that. That's totally awesome. That's basically what you're saying when you say amen. Okay. That means that's totally awesome. And you are totally right. Okay, so verse twenty-one it says, "Now God, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ." Amen. See, that's a pretty cool promise, right? All right. Second one is He anointed us, Amen. and He set a seal of ownership on us, Amen. and He put His Spirit in our heart as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Amen. See. Those are some good promises, aren't they? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. All right. Those are good promises. We're going to come back to those in a little bit. Verse 23 through chapter 2, verse 4. Okay? So here Paul is going to uh, tell why. Um, He's going to explain his motives, why he didn't come to them. Verse 23 I call God as my witness, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad? but you whom I have grieved. I wrote as I did, so that when I come, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would share my joy, for I wrote out of great distress and anguish of heart and with te- many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. He starts this, this sentence off. He says, I call God as my witness. Now think about that. Would you want to call God as your witness? I, don't think, I want to just really think about that. I call God as my witness. Obviously, Paul had prayed and sought God and sought God's wisdom. For this decision if he should go back to Corinth or if he should just write them another letter and even though he promised that he would come he's like I'm not going to make this decision lightly and what did he say I did it to spare you Paul knew that sometimes his presence was very intimidating to people Paul knew that sometimes he could come down harder on people (laughs) than he really probably should and Paul knew that if he went back and he had to confront, he had to go back to do a confronting mission, right? And he had to confront people who were in sin and confront leaders who were messing up and confront this and that. He knew that he may destroy his relationship with the very people he loved the most. Did you catch that? He said, if I grieve you, if I make you sad and I grieve you, I don't have anyone left. I got nothing. If I make you sad and I I, I destroy my relationship with you, I've got nothing left. You are my heart and my love and my joy. I want to show you the depth of my love by not coming. Instead, by sharing with you some words and a a letter. And this is the condition Paul was in. So, as we, as we read this today and as we've read, read through this, a pretty lengthy passage, we're going to pull out some principles here today. But it's kind of interesting how if you flip to the end of Corinthians, you don't have to do that, but if you flip to the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul concludes his, his letter by saying, I did this. To spare both you and myself undue hardship. I came, I sent this letter to build you up, not to tear you down. And that's why you're getting this letter instead of me. So, as we're talking about shifting gears here and talking about earthly uncertainty and divine certainty, we first got to talk about. Earthly uncertainty. Is life uncertain? How many of you had something uncertain happen to you this week? Something happened to you this week that you were not prepared for. You didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know what was going to hit you. Yeah. How many of this last 12 months, something hit you, something happened to you, it wasn't what you expected? I was thinking about this. When somebody signs up to be a soldier, right, in the U.S. Army, you sign up to be a soldier and then there's a war, and you go off to war, there is no certainty that you are going to return, is there? You know that up front, right? You know up front, you're going into battle, you're going into war, and you may never return. And for uh, in, and in the last eight years, over 4,000 soldiers have died in Iraq. U.S. soldiers have died in Iraq fighting that war. Uncertainty. War is totally uncertain if you're ever going to make it. But I'd like to compare that to everyday American living. This morning, you got in your car to come to church, and I'm pretty sure that you were certain that you were going to make it to your destination, right? And look, you all did. So we all were certain that we're going to get here. And every year, we get in our cars time and time again to go to our next destination, and we're certain we're going to make it there. If we weren't certain we were going to make it there, we wouldn't get in our cars, right? We'd just stay home if we were uncertain, if we were going to make it to our next destination. But every year in in the United States, 40,000 people die in auto accidents. 40,000. Think about this. Since the beginning of the Iraq War... 400,000 Americans died in auto accidents. Does that blow your mind? 400,000 people lost their lives in auto accidents. And every single one of them, I guarantee you, was certain that they were going to get to their next destination. But because life is uncertain, many of them never made it. We're on. Uncertain about a lot of things. We're uncertain if the Jazz can win the playoffs. Are they going to win? Well, I guess you're pretty certain about that. Wow. Fairweather fans. Or just realists, one of the two. Okay. But seriously, life is uncertain. I've never met a couple that I've... Done counsel, premarital counseling with, and, and married them, and I've never met with a couple that said, "Well, we're pretty uncertain that we're going to stay together for the rest of our lives." Never. They are certain when they're at that altar that they're going to stay together for the rest of their lives. Yet, one out of two marriages end in divorce. Okay, it's pretty uncertain, even being in part of marriage. And you can raise your kids right, and you can do all the right things, and you can try to be the best parent, but you, there is no certainty that your kids are going to turn out okay. There is absolutely no certainty. They could get involved in the wrong crowd. They could get, do, do things that they're not supposed to do. Whatever. Your health, it's uncertain. Just uh, about a year and a half ago, I turned 40 years old. Okay? Right? Right? I turned 40. Within a month, my legs stopped working. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just barely got over the hill, right? I'm just getting right over the hill. And before I get over the hill, man, all of a sudden my health just bottomed out. And many of you know about that. And I had a very hard time walking for a year. And I'm still in pain every single day in my legs. Why? I don't know. My health is uncertain. I was totally healthy up to that very point. And then it's uncertain. It's a, here's another thing that's uncertain that, that oftentimes believers deal with. You're spiritual leaders. Sometimes we have spiritual leaders, people we follow, pastors or teachers or whatever. And they make bad choices. And guess what? They let us down. One of the things I love about Dave Nelson, he said, if you get to know me, I guarantee you, I will let you down. Okay? So, same with me, same with Brad. We're going to let you down. Okay? And sometimes that just stinks. We're not guaranteed our next breath. You think about that. We are not certain that we are going to take another breath. Because for many people, this breath is their last, and they're gone. Everyone takes a last breath. So we are, life is uncertain. It is completely uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. It might be a great day. It might be a really bad day. You don't always know. But it seems like the one thing that seems to be certain among all things is that people that you love and that you know are going to let you down. <laughs> that seems to be certainty. So I'm going to ask you three questions today. I want you to answer them honestly in your heart. Let's do this. Let's be honest today, okay? You don't have to shout out the answers, no. But in your heart, um, do that. So I'd love for you to write these down. Um, three questions. First one is, and if you don't get them now, I'm going to go through each of them separately. So, do your personal actions leave people With a sense of certainty Or uncertainty Do your personal actions Leave people With a sense of certainty Or uncertainty Second question is this Have you been certain Have you been certain That someone Would be there for you And they let you down Have you been certain That someone would be there for you And they let you down and the third question is this. Are you ready to live your life with divine certainty? Are you ready to live your life with divine certainty? So let's tackle this first question here today. Do your personal actions leave people with a sense of certainty or uncertainty? Really, can, can people rely on you? Do, you? do you keep your promises? And we are living in these two worlds, this natural world... When we interact with people, a lot of times we react in a worldly manner. Our sinful self, our our flesh, our feelings, our thoughts, our emotions get all wrapped up in stuff. And we make sometimes really dumb decisions based on that. Anyone made a really dumb decision based on your own feelings, thoughts, or emotions? All right, and the rest of you, I'm sure you're admitting it. Okay, so, but then if you're a follower of Christ, and if you're, if you're not, then just listen in on this. But if you, if you choose to be a follower of Christ, there's a spiritual world where we have the mind of Christ. And, and we ask God to help us with our choices. We take this Bible and we use it, to help us make our choices we pray we seek counsel we make we try to make the best choices that we can make so this is where we're going to start i know that i've misunderstood people's motives and you probably misunderstood people's motives when they've come talk to you or dealt with you or, or, or maybe confronted you. Um, and maybe sometimes you've dealt with it in the wrong way. Sometimes you may have dealt with it in the right way. And on the flip side, have you ever, have you ever gone to somebody with pure motives in your heart, right? You're like... I totally have pure pure motives. And you go to this person, you have to talk to them or you have to work something out, right? And you talk to them and they totally misunderstand your motives. And they get angry or they walk out of the room or they fly off the handle or they... What do they do? Sometimes you lose a friendship. Back when I was in Detroit as a children's director, which sounds like a really easy job, but sometimes it is and it's a pretty fun job. I had this buddy of mine, and he was kind of one of my right-hand men. Um, I had a couple guys that just, they were there with me. We were developing ministries together. We, our families hung out together. We were friends. We were co-laborers with Christ. We were doing this together. We're reaching kids. And he started, he said, I want to develop this ministry. Because we were bringing kids in from the inner city who had no idea what a Bible was. They only heard Jesus in, in, in a swear word, used as a swear word. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know what the Bible was, nothing. We're bringing these kids in and we're ministering to them on Sunday morning. And, and my friend says, man, I want to I wanna do an intensive Bible class for them so they can learn the Bible book by book. You know, I want to I wanna really do this. And, and I thought, man, this, this is the guy, you know. He's got a passion for this. He's got a will to do this. So I said, go for it, right? And then I get called into, a couple months go by, and I get, I get called into my pastor's office. Scary. He had this big intimidating office with big cherry bookshelves and gigantic books and a big gigantic Donald Trump desk and stuff. I'm like, anytime we go in there, man, there's got to be something wrong, right? I get in there, and my friend's sitting there, and my pastor's sitting there, and another friend of mine's sitting there, and I get called in, they're like, yeah so my friend he he goes with another friend to a conference for their work for their business and he cheats on his wife right in front of his friend yeah my friend my buddy my co-worker in Christ all of a sudden he arranged to meet with his girlfriend at this conference I was blown away like are you kidding me is that what you did? I knew this was potential for marriage problems. This is potential for this could hurt his business, this could hurt his life. This could tear his life apart doing this. And so he says, "Well, I think I need to take a couple of weeks off of children's ministry." I said, a couple of weeks off. And so I had to make this decision. <laughs> and I had to do it with my sincere heart and, and with pure motives and, and all the love I had for that man who was my friend. I said, man, you've you got to take more time off than that. And he got really angry with me. I've never seen someone get so angry. I, I've never seen someone get so angry. His hands clenched And his knuckles turned white and his arms were completely red. And his face was like turning eight shades of purple. And he was like, you can't do that to me. Right? And it was almost demonic. And when when I saw his body, I'd never seen that. That's that's not my friend. That's something totally different. And he's like, you can't, no, you know. You can't tell my wife. Right? Oh yeah, I'm going to keep it a secret from your wife. I can't. You can't tell my wife. You? No, I'm not going to tell your wife. You're going to tell your wife. Okay? Right? And so, in I had to make some really tough decisions, and we had to make some really tough decisions. Say, what are we going to do with this guy? To get him back on track with Jesus? Man, teaching a a class? Are you kidding me? It's not going to get him back on track with Jesus. And over the next few months. <laughs> In our relationship, he had to tell his wife, and he told his wife. And they had to go to counseling, and they had to do all kinds of stuff. And I'm telling you, all hell broke loose in that family. And in our ministry, to be honest with you, it stunk when I had to do that. But I had to conduct myself in in truth, in truth, truth. So, when, we, when we're talking about, when we're looking at this, this scripture today, um, I want to take a look at the example of how Paul made his decisions. Because I had to make these decisions really quickly. And if I hadn't been in prayer, and if I hadn't been, been uh, praying and having my relationship with Christ and knowing God's word, I might not have made such good decisions. But we made really good decisions in that case. So there's five ways. So you want to write these down. Okay, I'm making a good decision. Okay, I know this is a lot of stuff today, but they th- threw this message at me, and I had to take it. So here we go. All right, I want to I want to teach it like like it is. So um, there's five ways, and the first three are found in verse 12. How do you make good decisions in business in life? How do you make godly decisions? Here it is. First one: conduct yourself. In the holiness and sincerity that comes from God. This is in verse 12. Okay? Not the holiness and sincerity that comes from you. The holiness and sincerity that comes from God. Okay? If you got God's holiness and God's sincerity <laughs> working in your heart, right? And then you confront an issue, or then you work on your relationship, oh, it's going to be totally different. The second one is this. Don't do it according to worldly wisdom. Okay? Don't do it according to worldly wisdom. It just doesn't work. And Paul says, I didn't do it according to worldly wisdom. I used the sincerity that comes from God. The third one is, uh, do it according to God's grace. Man, the one thing that I love about K2, the church... I'm just telling you this. If you're new to K2, the church, you might not know this. The one thing I love is we always live in grace and truth. And we try. We try our very best whenever we're confronted with any situation or make any move forward that we offer grace and truth. We speak truth and we offer grace and we receive grace. That's a huge part of what we, what we do and believe here. That's not a huge part of a lot of religious organizations. But do it according to God's grace. The fourth thing comes from verse 23. Do it with lots of prayer. Do it with lots of prayer. If you make a decision and it's in God's holiness and God's sincerity and you've used grace and you haven't used worldly wisdom, then you can honestly say, I call God as my witness. I'm making the best choice that I can make. Paul says, I call God as my witness. If God was here right now, if if he could speak to us right now, he would say, this guy made the best decision he could because he asked me first. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, Have you prayed with distress, anguish of heart, and with many tears? Have you prayed with distress, anguish of heart, and many tears? Paul has to decide should I go to Corinth or should I not go to Corinth? Right? Should I go here or should I not go here? Okay? God, I really want to go here, but I know it's going to cause pain and anguish that might be irre- irreversible. But I really love these people, but I. And so he had to work through this issue of should he go? He prayed with distress anguish of heart, and many tears. Now, if I had the opportunity to go to Greece right now, and it's like, hey, you got a vacation to Greece, I'd be like, I don't have to pray with distress, <laughs> anguish of heart, or with many tears, right? I'd be like, yeah, put me on the plane, let's go, <laughs> right? Let's sit on the Mediterranean, let's do whatever Greek people do. You know, let's, let's just do that, right? Right? I would have no issues, right? But Paul's issue of going to Greece, was his issue was, it was a tough one. It was a big, huge decision that could maybe impact even the way the church goes in the future. It was huge. And when you're facing a huge issue in your life, like who you're going to marry, I tell you, I have met people who come to me and go, we want to get married. Will you marry me? I'm like, how long have you known each other? Oh, a couple weeks. Have you really thought through this? Have you really prayed through this? Have you, are you using worldly wisdom? Or are you, are you, did you pray with distress and tears and, and do this? I have a buddy. I'm telling you. He's a youth pastor at, at Woodlawn Church in Detroit. My buddy, he fasted for 30 days to find out if he should marry this girl. 30 days! 30 days! I don't know what she did for those 30 days. She's just kind of waiting, like, wonder what he's going to say, right? I'm telling you, he fasted 30 days to find out who his bride was going to be. Because he had this woman and he loved her, but he wasn't sure. And he wanted to ask God, and he did. Now, that's extreme. That's way more extreme than most people do. But I'm serious. He wanted to know that this was right because he's making a commitment for the rest of his life to this woman. Now they're married, they have four kids. They're awesome people. I love them. Okay. So, second question. Here we go. Have you been certain that someone would be there for you and they let you down? Just like Becky. She was waiting there at her desk at her school, certain that I would walk through the door because she invited me and she, I was her special person. And I let her down. Here's the deal. Here's a, here's a really, really good principle. Don't ever put someone on a pedestal higher than God. You know, we put people up on pedestals, right? Like, oh, that's a really godly person. Or, what? Or, wow, she's, she's my wife, and I'm going to put her up on this pedestal. Or, or sometimes people even put celebrities on a pedestal, and then celebrities s- screw up their lives. and They're like, oh, I can't believe that Brad Pitt left Jennifer Aniston. Like, you know, it, like some people, really, seriously, like it, it defines their life. And the theme of this message is divine certainty and earthly uncertainty. Paul had let the Corinthians down. He knew that. They wanted him to come, but he let them down. And I just remember, um, as a teenager, I felt called into ministry at a young age and, and I was planning to go to Bible college and learn how to be a pastor or whatever I was going to be. And um, I'm heading off to college and it's the summer before. It's the summer after I graduated from high school. I'm, I'm getting ready to go to college. And there was this... Uh, you, some of you may remember this. Some of you may not remember this. But two prominent evangelists that were on television and filled auditoriums and all this stuff fell that summer. That summer. And one of them was Jimmy Swaggart. He was caught with a prostitute. The other one was Jim Baker. And he had started this whole Christian organization and Christian television, and he had a Christian amusement park and all this stuff, right? And, and he was caught, uh, you know, uh, sleeping with one of his employees. Right? So here's the deal. Maybe for some of you that wasn't a very big impact, but for me, Jim Baker went to the school I was going to in a few months. And there was reporters down there all the time. Well, this is Jim Baker's school. Yeah, this is Jim Baker's school. Yeah, Jim and Tammy Baker went to school here. Blah, 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 all right? So it's in all the papers and everyone's talking about, oh, you're going to Jim Baker's school. Ha, 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 right? Okay, yeah. The other one was, was Jimmy Swagger. And he might not, you know, might not have made a huge impact on you. But my dad... He worked in a factory, wasn't very well educated, but he loved people, he loved Jesus, and he wanted to share Jesus with everybody he had. And the best tool he found was he could order like a case of Jimmy Swaggart records, right? He just ordered them by the case. I remember them showing up by the case. And what my dad would do, he would buy them out of his own pocket. I don't even know where he got the money to do this. Because I mean, my, my dad didn't make more than $8 an hour when he retired. I don't know where he got the money to do this. Raised five kids in this little house. But he would do that. And so he'd order all these Jimmy Swagger records. He'd just pass them out to people. you got to listen to this. you got to listen to this. He wanted to share Jesus with everybody. So he passed out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things in his hometown. And then the news breaks out that he's caught with a prostitute. And I remember my dad. He had stuck him up on this pedestal. This godly man who preached Jesus this godly man who, who helped my dad, drove spiritually through his preaching and his teaching. This person that he has been representing <laughs> and putting his own reputation on the line does something stupid like that. And my dad went into a deep depression for years because of that, because that guy let him down. He let him down deeply. And I don't know who it is for you guys. I don't know who it is that you put up on a pedestal, and they've let you down. I want you to think about those, that person or that those people right now. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe he totally let you down. Maybe he abandoned you. Maybe he abused you. Maybe he's supposed to be there to protect you, but he just let you grow up on your own. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe she was supposed to be there for you but instead she was an alcoholic and she <laughs> did things that you're not proud of and you're embarrassed of. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's one of your brothers or sisters a sibling that you just have a terrible relationship with. And they're supposed to be there right by your side but they're not. They're not. Maybe for you it's maybe it was a boss or a teacher Or maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a pastor or a spiritual leader, and they let you down bad. They let you down bad, and the scar, and the hurt, and the pain. Maybe it was your wife. Maybe it was your husband. They were supposed to be there for you. They promised. They made a promise that they would be there forever, and they decided, "I'm going to leave." I don't know who that person is for you. But the band's going to come up here and they're going to sing a song called Pedestal. And it's a, a, a song about, about putting people up and, and, and what that does. So what I'd like you just to do during this time is maybe just close your eyes. <laughs> maybe just think about the words of the song as, as Sam comes up and sings it.